0: This is an American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host Chad Hopkins. Hi Chad, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. This is a little bit weird for us because we're recording in the middle of the week instead of during the weekend.
0: Yeah, a little bit of mid work office. I'm excited.
1: <laughs> I was gone this past weekend because my two best friends and roommates at the time are now married to each other. So they are off honeymooning in Europe and who knows where. And I am enjoying living outside of my own bedroom in my apartment this week. So
0: (laughs) that's exciting for your roommates. Congrats to them.
1: Yes, I'm very happy for them. It was a great time at the wedding. It kind of sucked to come back to the real world afterwards. But uh, it was still a good time. And I'm very, very happy for them. And Now I'm looking forward to living by myself for at least a little bit. We'll see what happens.
0: So we are discussing episode 21 of season two today called Conflict Resolution. It aired on May 4th, 2006, directed by Charles McDougall, written by Greg Daniels.
1: It is picture day at Dunder Mifflin for new ID cards and tensions are running high between first Oscar and Angela as they argue over Angela's display of a certain poster the one that she received from Toby that features babies posing with musical instruments. And Michael comes across the situation and he's dissatisfied with Toby's method of conflict resolution oh, title drop. <laughs> and he decides to take matters into his own hands, initially following a sort of guide from corporate before he splits off and does his own, uh, ill-advised methods. And you can expect how well those go knowing it's Michael. He learns that there are years of complaints boxed away by Toby and forgotten by everybody, not just Toby, by everybody. So he brings him out into the office, opening old wounds and creating new tensions.
0: It's kind of one of those episodes for me that had more character interactions than funny moments. It was a funny episode, of course, but um, lots of tension in this episode, for sure.
1: Yeah, The Office manages to be funny even when it's trying to be a little bit more on edge. Edgier is not the right word, but a little bit more in your face, a little bit more real, I suppose. Um, There's a lot of fighting in this episode. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of arguing. It's not a happy episode across the board in most circumstances. And still, yes, there are a few funny moments, but there's just a lot of things to dissect instead. So just starting off with Michael, it's interesting that he is so fired up all of a sudden to get so involved in conflict resolution. Um, he, he doubts Toby's qualifications because in his mind, Toby's answer to everything is to get divorced. Uh, he, he likes nothing more than to remind Toby that he's divorced. And remember the quote he's, he says, uh, he's not a part of our family because he's actually part of corporate. And also, he's divorced, so he's not a part of his own family. So uh, he has a similar quote here uh, where he, he's, again, says, Toby's answer to everything is to get divorced. And he says, you know, in this office, it's till death do us part, assuming we don't get downsized. So he has high expectations for the longevity of his employees. Um But still not a lot of faith that they won't lose the branch. The the threat of downsizing has literally been involved in the show since episode one of season one. And here it is, almost season finale of season two, and it's still a concern.
0: Which is honestly something that, even having watched The Office several times now, I kind of forget until Michael mentions it again in this episode, because it hasn't been mentioned in many episodes, to my knowledge.
1: It hasn't been. It always just sort of looms in the background, and he brings it up every once in a while as he's preparing to fire somebody or as he is meeting up with corporate to see other managers and discuss their finances, and from there make a decision based on performance. And it's just an every once in a while kind of thing that, yes, this is still a threat and we still have to worry about it. But it's just interesting that Michael, who isn't necessarily any more qualified Well, not even necessarily he's just definitely not any more qualified than toby is to uh, resolve these conflicts in fact most of the time he's the one creating conflict in the office he's the one creating tensions toby reveals that he's got a whole separate filing system for complaints against michael and it's so much more extensive than anybody else probably even more extensive than uh than dwight's complaints against jim so we we doubt his qualifications, but he actually does something a little surprising at first in following the steps from corporate. He has the giant notebook and he says, step one is this and step one is that. And he's talking about win-lose and lose-lose and win-win and oh, there's win-win-win. That is the ideal situation and compromises are not ideal, but he's trying to actually follow these step-by-step instructions at first and he then sort of bastardizes the process into his own thing that doesn't work.
0: I also love the win-win-win because he's reading this conflict resolution from a training manual which it's sort of meta, so to speak, because the training because the training manual is putting itself in the resolution of the conflict. It's saying win-win is great, but win-win-win you have successfully mediated a conflict. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's not actually a necessary step. But Michael has some kind of initiative, I guess, or some kind of uh, desire to help solve this conflict. So he is taking it by the book,
1: literally. And because it does involve the mediator in the third win of the win 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 situation, he focuses on the mediator part of it when that's not the focus of conflict resolution. The, the focus should be let's. Depart amiably. Let's come up with a solution that works for everybody. And instead, he decides to impose his own resolution on them that they didn't reach themselves. He says, You know, this way I win because I have imposed a quote win on the two of you by saying, Oscar, you have to wear this as a shirt. Angela, you get to look at this all day. Boom, win, win. And because I made it a win for both of you, win for me too. And that is what he focuses on more. And throughout the day, as he abandons the step-by-step process and the different versions of winning and losing, he continues to focus on, look at me being such a great mediator, even though he's not.
0: We also see him attempt to mediate the conflict between Jim and Dwight. Uh, We don't get a whole lot of Michael's say about that. We do get a lot of reading of of, uh, offenses against Dwight, which is a great scene. But Presumably, he's just as bad at mediating that conflict as well.
1: It's really just kind of sad in this episode, even on the Dwight and Jim front, when all of these issues that they have with each other are brought to light at the same time rather than how they actually occurred, which is slowly over time. Uh, Jim even says it himself. He says, you know, when you line up those pranks back to back to back like that, it doesn't sound so funny, but he deserved all of them. And I think there's sort of an underlying message here that when we retaliate instead of maybe forgiving and forgetting, as Toby has tried to sort of teach in just listening to people and keeping these things filed away without doing anything about it, when we forgive and forget, the tensions are a lot lower than if you do let that fester. Uh, Michael says when he first brings these all up to everybody, it pains me to see all of the negativity festering. There is no negativity festering. Everybody has forgotten about this. That's the whole point. Most of these weren't even for formal complaints. They were just people venting to Toby because he's the HR representative and that's what he's there to do. So Michael creates the festering negativity by bringing everything up and putting it all in the open all at once. And so people remember all of a sudden, wow, I was angry at this person for this, for this, and for this, and I did forget it. Now you're just reminding me of all of it now, and I'm pissed off.
0: Speaking of a little bit about Jim and Dwight's conflict, one of his uh, talking heads about his pranks on Dwight, we get an extreme close-up of Jim's face when he realizes that a huge part of his job here. A lot of his enjoyment comes from pranking Dwight. And we sort of get this moment from him of, Oh, is this all my job is, or I'm not really sure what he's thinking there, but Dwight throughout the day has been kind of pressuring Jim to leave. And in fact, even at one point he says to Michael, by the end of the day, you decide, do I go or does Jim and Dwight's trying to get Jim to transfer branches. And, I think at that moment, we see Jim kind of think, maybe I should. And of course, at the end of the episode, we see him um, in New York at the corporate office talking to Jan, presumably talking about a transfer.
1: Yeah, there's a lot that goes through Jim's head in this episode, whether it's him thinking about his relationship with Dwight and how it does drive so much of his daily life at Dunder Mifflin, or whether it's him thinking about his relationship with Pam. And there's this whole subplot where Pam has not invited Angela to the wedding initially. And there's all this wedding talk going on throughout the episode. And Phyllis mentions, oh, I got the save the date. And Angela says, oh, well, I didn't get one. And Pam reveals in a talking head that she didn't want anybody to come to the wedding who has called her previously a hussy. Sounds like a very Angela thing to me, calling Pam a hussy. Um, So no invite. But Angela starts having a little bit of a bad day where... Michael forces her through this conflict resolution that is ill-informed, ill-advised, and ill-resolved. And she feels sorry for her. She says, okay, well, here, here's your save-the-date. I'll give it to you by hand. I didn't initially want you there, but I'll give you a chance. Go ahead and come to our wedding. And then she mistakenly thinks, due to Michael revealing all of these complaints to everybody, that Angela has complained to Toby about her planning her wedding during office hours. Because, again, that sounds like a very Angela thing to do, but this time it wasn't her. So there's this interesting conflict where Pam thinks that Angela has sort of ratted her out. Jim knows that Pam thinks this and first tries to sort of skirt around it and help her to feel less anger at Angela. Angela for this because he knows that it's him that complained Uh, but he eventually has to tell her and that's when he understands that we have broken something that we once had where she is coming to work every day and she's planning her wedding and i'm here listening hurting not a fan of any of this and maybe i do have to leave because i'm not having any sort of positive relationship with anybody here anymore There are other conflicts going on all at the same time that, again, Michael has caused. Um, Phyllis, poor Phyllis, is having a bad day as well. First off, she is in the break room getting her photo taken for her ID. And she takes her glasses off and Dwight looks over and says, what is on your face? Is that a disguise? And she's just heavily dolled up. She's got a lot of makeup on. She's trying to look nice for her photo. And Dwight even comments, not to her face clown makeup or clown paint or something like that and she's understandably upset i don't think dwight was being malicious or rude i think he was just pointing out that it was something different it was a little bit exaggerated as far as makeup is concerned but it sort of hurt her feelings and i i understand that then when michael was bringing up all the complaints from everybody else uh, she says, oh, I wouldn't have complained about Angela because we're, we're close. And then Stanley apparently complained that Phyllis is crying all the time. And she says, no, I don't think he would have said that because we're close too. And Stanley just says we sit close. So Phyllis is having all these relationships and friendships that she thinks she has sort of stripped away from her. And She becomes bitter over it, and she just starts being very honest with everybody in the office, telling them, hey, I don't like you. And she does that with Angela. She does that with Dwight in Deleted Scenes, I believe. And she's just about had it as far as her patience goes.
0: Which I do wonder why she says that she and Angela are close, because I don't think we've ever seen... A friendship there, and really, since they are both on the party planning committee, and Angela's head of that, and she loves being in charge of Phyllis, it's a lot of competition kind of and and um not a whole lot of of friendship between the two of them so i'm I'm wondering what Phyllis thinks makes them close.
1: I don't know. I do think it's probably just that interaction with the party planning committee and something that the two of them sort of head together. Although Angela is definitely the one wearing the pants of the situation, if you want to put it that way. And you wouldn't think that they're friends. But again, this is Phyllis having sort of this stripped away from her, this vision that she sort of had for her life at the office where she was friends with Angela and she was friends with Stanley and she was friends with everybody. But now everybody apparently doesn't feel the same way. And so she's not going to put up a front anymore. And she's just going to tell people how she feels. Now, as for Angela herself, why do you think she even wants to go to Pam's wedding? Because just like, as you were just talking about with her relationship with Phyllis, we haven't seen a whole lot of friendshipy kind of things going on. There's only been antagonization in the party planning committee and mentioning the game of Pam Pong, where she counts how many times a day Jim goes to her desk, to talk to her. Um, She hasn't done anything kind to Pam to warrant a wedding invitation. So why do you think she wants to go?
0: Well, one of two things, maybe. Um, One is that, you know, the whole office is going. Uh, Her not being there would definitely be noticeable. So maybe it's just an inclusion thing. But Pam is the only person that... I think we know of that knows about her relationship with Dwight. I don't think Angela knows at this point that Pam knows. Is is that right?
1: I wouldn't think so. I think Pam has been pretty discreet with what she knows and what she doesn't. She hints toward it during this episode when she uh, mentions something about bobblehead Joe, referring mm-hmm. to Dwight, and that sort of insinuates that she knows that the bobblehead was a gift from Angela to Dwight, but... I don't think it's been explicitly understood between characters that it is known that Pam knows about the relationship.
0: That's what I think too. And uh, if Angela did know that Pam knew, then maybe, you know, oh, she's keeping my secret. You know, she's, she's a good friend. Um, maybe that would be a reason to want to go to the wedding. If she does know that I think would be the reason, but Right now, I'm really not sure besides just wanting to be included.
1: Yeah, I guess that would make the most sense at this point is just wanting to be included. But when she does get the invite from Pam later, when she's feeling sympathetic, she appears grateful maybe in the moment, but then she has the the talking head right afterwards where she criticizes it and says, it's not in my taste.
0: Right.
1: And so even when she should be grateful and when she is finally invited, she is critical of Pam. And on the flip side of that, Pam is so caring, often of the, uh, mo- a lot of the time, towards Angela and sympathetic towards this secret relationship between her and Dwight. When Michael was exposing all the complaints and he mentions that there were a whole bunch of complaints against Dwight that were redacted six months ago, which is when uh, they presumably started seeing each other and Angela stripped away those complaints. Pam steers the conversation away and she volunteers to have complaints against her red. And that's what unnurse the whole the whole complaint about planning her wedding during office hours. So Pam is very, very caring and considerate in that relationship and protecting its secret. But then on the flip side of that, she assumes that because her past disagreements with, have been with Angela in the office rather than with anybody else, that the withdrawn complaint is It just had to have come from Angela. Uh, So she makes the assumption that Angela was the one complaining, which is a little bit unfair of her. But again, it does sound like something that Angela would complain about.
0: I think it's more than that, too, because Michael says that Angela had complaints for everyone in the office except for Dwight. And Pam only had one complaint written up about her. So math would say that Angela did it, but it wasn't Angela at all. It was it was Jim. So that confused me, unless I misunderstood that whole kind of sequence. Um, It sounded like Angela had complained about everyone except for Dwight, and Pam only had one complaint.
1: Oh, I think you're exactly right in pointing that out. And I think it's an example of Michael generalizing and being a little bit too cavalier with personal information. He shouldn't have these at all. They are filed away for a reason with the health with the the h r representative because that's his job is to hear these complaints and tend to them as he sees fit and for most of these, I would agree with topi they don't warrant anything beyond just hearing it out, talking about it, letting them vent, and then putting it aside and moving on with your work relationships but michael he opens up these wounds he generalizes this information that isn't true. Maybe Angela has a lot of complaints about a lot of different people, but maybe she didn't have one against Pam as we find out because it was from Jim. Uh, but Michael's just doing a very, very poor job of being any sort of sensitive with this information like he should be and creating these moments of tension and these Uh, arguments between everybody there's this one moment later in the episode where Michael's walking around and he's looking around and everybody is angry at each other whether it's Stanley and Kevin staring at each other or Phyllis and Angela uh, giving each other angry glances whatever it is everybody is angry at somebody and it's all Michael's fault.
0: And that's shown of course in the um, photo at the end of the day of the whole group of of the whole office and michael has to very very poorly photoshop smiles out of these people's faces because the only person i think in the photo that had a natural smile on their face was michael and everybody else just looked miserable
1: because he is the master mediator and he resolved everybody's (laughs) conflict so he's happy for himself but if he looked closely at anything he would understand that he didn't resolve anything today And that's why the the group photo at the end of the day with tensions high was just a bad idea. And then Toby, poor Toby, he is having a rough time this episode too, because Michael is making his job a lot harder by creating more stressful situations. He barely sits for his ID photo and the result that we see on the, the preview screen, he sort of looks dead inside, like, oh man, another day at work, another day of Michael ruining my job. And he accidentally reveals at one point to dwight that the special new york complaint files that he had been keeping for dwight against jim uh were just a box that sat under his desk and in the moment he realizes his mistake that he accidentally reveals this to dwight directly he sort of gives this desperate glance to the camera directly into the the camera and it's it's like oh no please help me. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> and you just feel bad for, or I, I feel bad for him. I'm assuming you would too, because it he's not a bad guy. He's not bad at his job. He was actually doing a pretty good job. People weren't angry at each other until Michael stepped into the situation and thought he, he had to fix what wasn't broken. So poor Toby.
0: Which is why there is an HR representative at all. Hypothetically, Michael wouldn't really need to be involved in any of this, HR is there to mediate and to, you know, human resources. And Michael just sort of took it on himself, which is not part of his job, I think.
1: No, not at all. Now, just talking about Jim a little bit more before we move on. He has a talking head about the be- in, in the beginning about how the the talk about wedding preparation and planning is unavoidable. It doesn't bother him. He hears Uh, he hears it all the time. She hears him planning his social life all the time. They both have to listen to Dwight order deer urine over the phone. So, hey, it all evens out. No big deal. But right after that talking head, he walks into the kitchen, and Phyllis is mentioning the save the date to Pam, and he just does an immediate 180 and walks out. So it clearly bothers him in some respect. And that you it's easy to understand why he would be venting to Toby about this thing. And yes, Jim is good enough friends with Pam that he redacts it. But unfortunately that doesn't save him from himself when he's trying to protect Angela from unfair accusations.
0: Jim is going through a bit of a crisis, especially in this episode, but I think it's been coming on for a few episodes now. He sees a dead end with Pam. I think really, even though she was engaged before that date wasn't set, no progress was being made. Roy's a jerk. I think he kind of thought there might've been something, some kind of future with Pam. And I think he is seeing, well, maybe not a future with Pam, but it it wasn't a total roadblock like it is now. I think he is just realizing that this is it. She's going to marry him. And my time here could be limited because in his mind, Pam is what he wants for his future. And, If she's not there, if she's not part of his future, what is he doing? He does not want to do this forever. He said that. He said that in the pilot. And this door is rapidly coming to a close. He's watching it come to a close and is kind of freaking.
1: When the two of them are discussing Angela in the kitchen, um, Pam, he's trying to, again, trying to diffuse the situation, saying, hey, it was redacted. She obviously felt bad about it. Leave her alone. It's not a big deal. Pam says, hey, don't take her side. And he actually sort of eye rolls and lets out this sigh, like, come on, Pam, come on. Don't, stop being ridiculous. And then he asks what Roy thinks about all of this. Pam says, I try not to bother him with this kind of stuff. And Jim, very heavy sarcasm, very heavy snark, says, what, your thoughts and your feelings? And huh. she doesn't pick up on it in the moment, or she has realized the the truth in what he said it, for herself in the moment, But when he does finally admit to Pam later during the group photo that it was him who complained to Toby and it wasn't a big deal, it was just one day, don't let it ruin anything, but she's short with him. She's clearly upset that her best friend in the office would complain about something like that, and that's when he does understand that he can't stay. Whatever they had was lost. It is time to move on. Let's go interview at Stanford. And so something is coming to an end and we're not at the next episode yet to see what that is, but Jim, he's tired and he's ready to move on.
0: Well, on the lighter side for Jim, we do get a nice little credit to all of his, sorry, not all of his pranks, (laughs) some of his pranks. We see, uh, oh, six or eight of his pranks in this episode, um, regarding Dwight, but I'm sure that's not it by any means. But I I had written down some of the ones we get to hear about. So this is in the uh, Jim and Dwight cage match, as Michael calls it, in the conference room. So one, someone replaced all of my pens and pencils with crayons. I suspect Jim Halpert. Everyone has called me Dwayne all day. I think Jim Halpert paid them too. We see Jim say, yes, five bucks each. And it was totally worth it. (laughs) Michael says on behalf of Dwight... This morning, I found a bloody glove in my desk drawer, and Jim Halpert tried to convince me I committed murder. I think he may be the real murderer. Um, One of my favorites, this morning, I knocked myself in the head with the phone. (laughs) Which, (laughs) that's all that's said on the card, which does not seem like a prank. And Jim kind of laughed and said that one took took a while. He had to put more and more nickels into Dwight's headset. Until one day he took them all out and White was used to the phone being heavier. So he smacked his, <laughs> smacked his face, which is brilliant. That is brilliant. genius. Yeah, genius. So smart. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to do that to somebody.
1: Yeah, next level.
0: The next one that was said was every time I typed my name, it said diapers. And here <laughs> we kind of see Jim start to, I don't know. He almost looked embarrassed by the like juvenile nature of some of these. And he goes, just a simple macro you know, they don't sound that funny one after another, but he does deserve it. And uh, the last one I think we get was, by the end of the day, my desk was about two feet closer to the copier. <laughs> and <laughs> he's right. One after another, they're not that funny. But, you know, if this happens once every couple of weeks, it's fun to mess with your coworkers. But Jim just, oh, poor guy. I feel for him. He's just, he's in a rut.
1: This goes into why he decides to interview for the Stanford position as well, I think, is because, yes, any one of these taken on an individual level is pretty funny. But when you put them all together, he actually sort of sounds like a bully. And maybe sometimes Dwight deserves it. Maybe sometimes he doesn't. But Jim uh, has fun with it a lot of the time. But we have to remember, too, that a lot of the time when he's planning these pranks against Dwight, he's doing it with Pam and... So this is just another reminder of something he might be losing now that Pam is officially getting married to Roy. I also love during the moment where Michael is revealing everybody's complaints. He says, what about the Phyllis-Angela dispute? And Angela responds, you already did me. And Michael says it and Jim mouths long, that's what she said, of course. And it's just Jim revealing that he knew, he knew he could sense a Michael Scott. That's what she said coming along. And so he mouths along. And it's funny. He makes eye contact with the camera when he does it. Uh, he, he knows his boss very well.
0: <laughs> yes. I also loved, um, so it's photo day. As as was said earlier, It's um, they're taking photos for their new ID badges. And when Creed is getting his ID photo taken, he does one from the front. And as soon as that one's taken, he turns profile as if he's taking a (laughs) (laughs) mugshot. It's just, it's muscle memory. It's just habit for him. And the uh, photographer says, nope, that's that's it. That's all I need. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it makes you wonder about Creed's life outside of work, because this is really the first extension of... Creed the real person into Creed the fictional character everything we've seen from him up to this point has sort of been in line with what we know about Creed Bratton who is a member of the grassroots in the 60s and now we're sensing maybe there's something beyond just being a member of a 60s rock band maybe there's something criminal why would he be so accustomed to taking mug shots uh, I don't know but there are a few other funny moments from Creed throughout this episode as well There's one where uh, he apparently complained that the men's bathroom is whites only. (laughs) Michael initially assumes that it's Stanley because he's one of the two non-white males in the office. Uh, But Stanley denies it and Creed speaks up and says, hey, then why is there a picture of a white man on the door? And the camera person, genius, just hands over to the men's bathroom through the window and zooms in. And sure enough, there's a picture of a white man on the door, but it's just a contrast with the black background of the sign announcing that it is a bathroom for males. <laughs> and then the other one is when Ryan complained about Creed's distinct old man smell. And Creed just sort of gives us this, this knowing grin like, oh, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I know about that smell. And we get a talking head where he says, I sprout mung beans on a damp paper towel in my desk drawer. And they're very nutritious, but they smell like death. <laughs> That's another sort of classic Creed quote.
0: There was one from Dwight that I believe was referenced earlier, but in a deleted scene where we learn about Dwight's spud gun. I believe this was referenced in a old deleted scene, I believe it was from boys and girls, but we learn about Dwight's spud gun. And he says that security has really been lacking. He says last year, he sat with a spud gun next to his desk. And he has this great, just deadpan face and the camera zooms. And he says, what if I was deranged? (laughs) (laughs) And just kind of hangs on his face for a moment. Like, you know, of all the people in the office, Dwight might be the closest to being deranged. Like he's the person I might trust least with a spud gun. Um, but of course that was referenced earlier in Boys and Girls and the deleted scenes where he shoots his spud gun through Daryl's office window. So he's he's had that on him for for a while and unfortunately has brought it to the office several times.
1: I'm not sure that people should be worried about potato guns being brought into offices necessarily. Um I mean, I'd rather somebody bring in a potato gun than like a a machine gun or any sort of other (laughs) automatic rifle. But this definitely doesn't make a strong case for Dwight not being deranged. Uh, Right. Any normal person wouldn't bring in any sort of potato launching device to a common workplace scenario.
0: Like if it can break a window, I don't need you to shoot it at me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then just a couple of uh, Michael funny moments from me. There's one where he's reading, I think, a complaint from Kelly, which is not work related, but it's in there. Nonetheless, Ryan never returns my calls. And he responds, ah, join the club. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's the whole notion of the cage match, which Michael thinks is just genius conflict resolution. Sometimes you just have to put people in a cage match because, yeah, they work. How could they not work? If they didn't work, everyone would still be in the cage. And he's looking at the camera like, are you stupid? I mean, obviously cage matches work. Obviously, come on. (laughs) But Michael doesn't think it through because no, people aren't in cages anymore at the end of a cage match. Because at the end of a cage match, one person walks out and the other one is carried out on a gurney. And that's not an ideal situation for conflict resolution. So it's just not... Not Michael thinking things through very well. Not that we had any sort of expectation that he would think things through, but he's clearly not starting now.
0: Speaking of Michael and the uh, many, many complaints against him, I think one of my favorite cuts is one of the very last ones where Toby takes the, the complaints box and goes down to the warehouse, puts it on a shelf, and the camera pans out to dozens of identical boxes presumably it's might be a stretch but they're all identical and it kind of hints that they are all complaints and it's just dozens and dozens of boxes identical to each other that will sit there in the warehouse and not be touched ever
1: (laughs) it's almost like the end of raiders of the lost ark when we have the warehouse (laughs) shot and they're they're pushing the box containing the ark of the covenant down this warehouse and you get this slow zoom out and it's just boxes everywhere with contents unknown. And that's sort of I think what they're trying to evoke here with the yeah. various similar boxes or identical boxes whether they're all full of complaints or not. It's fun to imagine that they are. And Exactly. I I personally would prefer seeing them stacked together on a rack in the warehouse than to have everybody fighting over everything openly in this episode like Michael caused them to do.
0: Sometimes you just need an ear which is what Toby was, and uh, it's like writing a letter to an ex or something that you're never going to send. You just need to get the thoughts out, and you can move on, but not for Michael. That won't do.
1: Now, what about deleted scenes for this episode? What What are some that stand out to you?
0: There's a great one, another prank, of course, where Dwight finds his desk uh, encircled in police tape, and so he's very, very hesitant to touch anything on his desk, and Jim secretly calls Dwight's phone. Of course, it goes to Pam first. So Pam can pretend like it's a real call from the police saying, Dwight, this is about your desk. The the police really need to talk to you. And so she transfers it to his desk, to his phone, which is on his desk, which he cannot reach. So Dwight is having this huge moral dilemma of whether or not to take this call (laughs) from the police about his desk. It's just... A great uh, moral Dwight trauma.
1: It's obviously before the events of drug testing episode, uh, which we mentioned that it was the last episode filmed of the season. Other than this deleted scene, you wouldn't know that one was supposed to come chronologically before the other. Uh, But the genius of this prank to me, which I thought was hysterical, was that Jim actually tells him that it's a prank. (laughs) Jim tells him. Yes, that's right. And And Dwight just completely ignores him, and he says, "This is official police line tape, okay? So obviously not a prank." (laughs) And then he's so conflicted over whether to answer the phone or obey the the do not cross tape. It's just so so good. I I, that's a great deleted scene that I had never seen or heard of before.
0: It's sort of like the wallet one where Pam and Jim have Dwight's wallet and give it back to him completely intact, and Dwight just doesn't. Trust them and like, no, you did something to it. And he's like, no, really, we just gave you back your wall. It's sort of the opposite of that, where mm-hmm. they're just messing with Dwight, openly saying it's a prank or not a prank. And Dwight just does not believe it.
1: There's a couple of scenes with Michael. He reveals his history as an irritator. He says he would ask his dad over and over again, What's wrong, dad? What's wrong, dad? What's wrong, dad? What's wrong, dad? And he would just do it over and over and over again. And he said his dad would just look at him like he's an idiot. Well, Obviously, Michael is what was wrong with his dad. If something was wrong, if if that's how he asked, then whatever problem I'm sure his dad might have had quickly became his son annoying the crap out of him by saying the same thing over and over and <laughs> over again. Um, and then when Michael gets the complaints, he starts comparing them to cold cases, um, and he mistakenly does the law and order sound effect. Uh Different right. show. <laughs> um, but he compares them to rapes and murders and armed robberies. They simply aren't on that level. These are petty complaints that were revealed in casual conversation. They are not rapes and murders. They are so much more insignificant than Michael makes them out to be. And when Ma- when Michael magnifies them, they're magnified for everybody else. It- it- he just has the complete wrong approach to this thing.
0: I also love the Michael... Butchering the King Solomon story from the Bible, saying that two women who claim to be the mother of the same baby, um, but he messes up the ending. He says that King Solomon says he'll adopt the baby and raise him as Hindu, which is not what happens. What happens in the Bible story is that two women claim to be the mother of the same baby um, and King Solomon being wise says, how about this? I'll cut the baby in half and you can each have half the baby. And the true mother of the baby says, no, don't do that. Don't kill the baby. And the other mother, or the the fraud mother, says that would be fine. So clearly Michael has no idea what he's doing and makes up stories. But we already knew that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we did.
0: One more quick one for me. Uh, I like that Pam asks the photographer if he does wedding photography. And even the the photographer says, you really want me to be your wedding photographer? Really?
1: (laughs) Yeah, he says, you want your wedding photos to look like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, like, really? I mean, these are very basic fluorescent lighting, you know, smile and shoot photos, no editing, whatever. And Pam is like, yeah, why not? (laughs) Like, she's just so, I don't know, she seems so over the whole wedding planning process, which I've never been a bride. Maybe it's like that, But I can't imagine not taking more, more pride in your, uh, your photos, especially because that's what you have to remember the day by. I don't know. She's over it.
1: She is over it. And I guess he's available. He's there. So why not ask? But he's a little bit more clinical than I think she would like for a wedding photo. Yeah. Then the last deleted scene is, uh, Hank, the security officer that sits at the front desk, holds Dwight back from the elevator. He says, excuse me, sir. Is this your real name? And then he lets him go just as the doors to the elevator close. And I can't help but wonder, do you think Jim paid him to do that? Like, here's a five. Can you make sure that Dwight misses the elevator? <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I think that would be funny. Um, but there's no indication one way or the other that that would have happened. Um, either way, it's a result of Jim's prank. Because in the actual episode, he over-laminates Dwight's id in a big like eight and a half by 11 sheet of plastic laminate and then labels him as a security threat and changes his middle name to fart instead of kurt um so in any case if hank stopped him because of what was on his badge it was jim's fault but i like to sort of think that jim said here's a five make sure that dwight barely misses the elevator because i think that can be a minor inconvenience that could be a huge frustration
0: yeah absolutely well, I guess moving on to our discussion topic for this episode, we saw that at the beginning of the episode, Angela was not given a wedding invite or a, a a save the date. But later on in the episode, Pam decides to give her one. We touched on this a little bit, but why do you think Pam wants to invite Angela? We talked about why Angela wants to be there, but why do you think Pam changed her mind?
1: Um, I just think that Pam sees Angela having a hard time this episode. She's not invited. She uh, has to go through this conflict resolution with Michael and Oscar, which we didn't talk about in depth, but uh, there's that whole situation over the, the baby poster. And then there's further sort of ostracizing when it's mentioned that Angela has complaints against everybody in the office. And all of her relationships with people are sort of crumbling because she has been so openly antagonistic to other people. And all the while, I think Pam has been witness to a softer side that Angela does have in her relationship with Dwight. And so in recognition of that, she says, okay, I will, I will give you a pass. I know things are hard for you today. I know that you and I have had our conflicts in the past, But this time, take a win. You can be invited to my wedding. I don't know. What do you think beyond that?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess because Pam does have an insight into Angela's personal life, especially with Dwight. Um, Whether or not Angela knows this, I I don't think she does. She may have a a paranoia or an idea that Pam might know. But I don't think Angela does know that Pam knows. But Pam does know. And I think she's t- like taken a soft spot. She does defend their relationship um, to the others in the office. She keeps secrets for them. She's sort of hoping that this works out for them, I think. Or at least knows that it gives two people who are often fairly joyless, especially Angela. It gives her some joy. And I think Pam being a, a good person and a good friend really to, to lots of people that aren't her friend back. I think she's just taken a soft spot for Angela and for Dwight. And as you said, yeah, it's, it's just having, Angela's having a, a hard time recently and a wedding invite, you know. Yeah, it'll cost Pam and Roy a few extra dollars, you know, but if she's just such a good person, I think that if that's what it'll take to make Angela happy, okay.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think that about sums that up. And with that, I think that's the end of the official 14th episode of An American Workplace. Surprise! We're only talking about one episode this week. You may or may not have realized that it ran long, but because we are approaching the season finale of season two of The Office, we decided that we would do something a little bit special for the final episode. So you can look for the special something early next week where we will be discussing Casino Night all by itself
0: really, really looking forward to this. I hope you guys are too. Uh, that's kind of all we want to talk about as far as that goes, but obviously uh, you will know what it is as soon as it comes out. So I can't wait to to work on that. That's it for this week. So you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplace or at workplacepod pod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes if you would like. We would always really appreciate any feedback. You can also email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady 623 or at Facebook at facebook.com slash katie.white.
1: And as always, the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And don't forget about my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. And you can find that where podcasts can be found or at the website thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and all of our contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com.
0: That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 14 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 15 for our discussion on the final episode of season two Casino Night. Thanks so much. Bye. I
1: think it's an example of Michael generalizing yeah, generalizing. and he opens up these wounds he generalizes that that doesn't sound right is
0: generalizes
1: no oh, right? thank you yeah generalizes <laughs>